George Russell does have that dog in him. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. That's one of the better ones we've had in recent times. Welcome to episode 409 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and um, all hell broke loose in Brazil. Why is it always Brazil? It's always Brazil, without fail, every time. Like, when was the last time we had a quiet Brazilian Grand Prix weekend? Like, gear's been stolen. Also, you know, like the place has been held, you know, the place has been held captive. We've now got, you know, what's funny as well. This is another Red Bull episode again. I'm sick and fucking tired of talking about Red Bull. Main character energy. <sighs> they are, they really, like, honestly, I was joking when I first said that about them in Mexico. I can't joke anymore. They really are the main characters now. It is ridiculous. Like, they didn't even win this weekend. We had a new team win for this they season. They finally lost a fucking race. Yeah. The 10 race winning streak they had going into this one is over. And it's at the hands of, I'm checking my notes here, George Russell? George! <laughs> this, this was a thing. George Russell has won a Grand Prix. An actual Grand Prix. Good Lord. Vengeance for the Barambas. What a time to be alive. Um, Mercedes has won a Grand Prix. It's like, this time last year, this wouldn't be considered a surprise, but yet, here we are. Last but, This time last year, this would have been considered an embarrassment. Right? It's crazy. Like, Merckx wins a Grand Prix for the first time this year, and it wasn't Lewis Hamilton. I'm shocked. This is ridiculous stuff. Right, before we get into the nitty-gritty of all the details, let's go around the horn real quick. First up, RJ O'Connell, who still hasn't stopped screaming George yet. Only dogs can only hear the last part of it. RJ. Um, when we go through plugging where we are, I would just like to say that as of time of recording, November 16, 2022, uh, we, do, we do still have a presence on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. <laughs> You can follow us personally at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at cbuckley917. Uh, we will keep informed as things uh, things change and develop, uh, hopefully not terribly. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are obviously pros and cons to being terminally online, terminally on Twitter. Mm. Uh, you know, I think we can all admit that. We can, yes. we can be adults about it, but, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we all just got to... We, we just got to thank Elon for being the smartest and the best per businessman because he is the richest. Oh. <laughs> Apparently and with that thinking. news, I'd like to announce my resignation from the Motorsport 101 network. <laughs> oh, no, you don't, Cameron Buckley. No, no, we're, we're at a fork in the road and you chose to stay. That's how we do this round here, okay? We are, we're at a I'm fork in the road and I'm going to go walk into the swamp at the end just to feel something. <laughs> Unbelievable. We we help we help you last season, and this is how you repay us, Cam. Uh, this, yes. is Cam this, is, this is Cam Buckley. Say hello, Cam Buckley, before you hand in your resignation. Uh hello everyone. Um we might finally be rid of this guy. Mattia Bonotto might finally be in the mud. <laughs> I love that when Ferrari posted that tweet saying that. They're, they're totally not going to be dismissing Mattia Bonato at the end of the season. That 
I think everybody was just like, yeah, we don't believe you. Yeah. You need more people. Yeah. We went, we went full football with this, where it's like, you know, when the vote of, of confidence comes in, we have full backing in our manager. Uh, uh, uh. We all know what that really means. It means you're on the brink of getting sacked and you need to start winning like now. On the other hand, at least Matai Bonato can go work some more on his jump shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would not be surprised if he is on the Brooklyn Bench bench tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Like, they they uh, need they... all the help they can get, given they just got 20 balled by the fucking Sacramento Kings. Oh, Lord. At least this time, Kevin Durant is bitching about his teammates openly rather than behind a burner. Um, he, 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 he's <laughs> well, well, I mean, it could be worse. He could be sharing anti-Semitic films. The, the bar is subterranean here, and yet here we are. Uh, right. We, like, we'll, tell the, we'll tell the good folks out there the other places you can find us in just a moment. But on this show... We'll be talking George Russell, his first Grand Prix win, and really complete dominance of the weekend. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. But you wouldn't have suspected it after the first round of qualifying. It. Oh, no, no, no. Definitely not. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, then we get into the Red Bull section. It's becoming a weekly segment on this show. It's a bit like how on the Jimquisition, Stephanie Sterling talks about, you know, fuck Konami news. This is now Red Bull news. So, um, Oh, thank God for them. Thank God for them, indeed. But uh, and, and by that we mean really no. But um, <laughs> we'll be talking about Hamilton and Verstappen five, um, the shove edition, and we will also talk about Max ignoring a team orders call because uh, reasons. I suppose so, you know, apparently he has reasons and he gave them. That, that that's good, good to know. Um, and we'll get into the fact that I'm checking my notes here. What do you mean, Kevin Magnuson ended up on pole? Oh, jeez. Okay. Other places you can find us real quick. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. For those who were talking about a MotoGP season review, we decided to skip it on this year because I, I thought, we, you know, let's save the hassle. I'm doing it in written form on the website. Part three will be up by the time this goes out. Part one is on um, the back markers. Uh, Honda, which is a weird thing to say. Suzuki and KTM. Part. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, I think that's the Honda fan there groaning in the background. Um, part two is on a pretty. Like the bike in... turns as an installment. <laughs> True story. Um, part two is on Aprilia and Fabio Quattararo. No, sorry, Yamaha. Um, and part three <laughs> will be on Ducati and the overall state of the sport. Spoiler alert, it's messy. So that is, a, I think it's over 8,000 words in total. So do check it out in three parts at your leisure on motorsport101.com. And if you really like it and you want to keep backing us, you can on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. That's one more time, motorsport101.com. If you want to check out our MotoGP season review, we'll do an F1 video review, or sorry, podcast review, I should say, podcast review, season review, in a couple of weeks' time after the final round in Abu Dhabi. Right, let's get into the 2022 Sao Paulo Grand Prix do Brazil. Do, 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 do.
This might be the least newsworthy part of a crazy weekend in F1, but George Russell dominated the weekend for his first Grand Prix win. This, despite crashing in Friday qualifying and having to start the sprint in third, uh, he bullied the medium start in Max Verstappen, which was a bit of an England that Red Bull are probably not at their best this weekend. And then led, after taking the sprint win, he started the Grand Prix on from first position and, yeah, pretty much led lights to flag to take his first Grand Prix win. Um, he had to hold off Lewis Hamilton at the end. There was a late safety car. Um, which I think, I think Fernando Norris's car dying late later on. I think we had a, we had a twelve lap, I want to say, sprint for the finish, and uh, yeah, Hamilton just didn't have an answer for George Russell in the end. So despite all that, Merckx gets their first win of the year. George Russell wins his first Grand Prix, the f like the first non Red Bull one two finish, I believe, since uh, Bahrain back at the back, back right at the start of the year. Um, yeah, absolutely nothing else of controversy happened. Honest. Um, so, gentlemen, first and foremost, what did you make of George Russell and Mercedes' performance over the weekend? Sometime. Crow now, Mr. Harrison. Mm. I was hoping you weren't going to mention this. <laughs> you know what I think it was? I think, I think it really was down to the fact that Mercedes, they brought some upgrades, and they also... They also applied some very unconventional weight-saving techniques. And by that, I mean, as part of suspending their their sponsorship agreement with uh, cryptocurrency exchange FTS, their <laughs> stickers no longer appeared on the card this weekend, and I don't think that's a coincidence. No. Do you know how happy our apartment was when George Russell won the sprint on Saturday, because he is Mr. Saturday, and then converted that into his first Grand Prix victory? My partner's a huge George Russell fan going back to his days at Williams. Uh, so my partner was very happy. I was very happy for my partner. Everything George Russell does with this team will always be examined under the lens of what does George Russell bring to the table that Mercedes didn't already have with Valtteri Bottas for the last few years or Nico Rosberg before him. Mm. And in kind of a sick way, Mercedes being way off what they've been for the last eight seasons, that really helped George find his footing in a lower pressure environment than he probably would have if he was in a championship caliber car right from the start of his first full season with the team where people would have been expecting him to take a cha title challenge to next weekend at Abu Dhabi, if not beating Lewis Hamilton comprehensively. Mm. George Russell is one of the most impressive junior formula prospects to come along. Not many guys go on and win the Formula 3 and Formula 2 titles in consecutive years in their first season. Sometimes it's just good to have faith that top prospects are top prospects because they're that good. And yeah. he's, now that he is in a car that's capable of running in the top half of the field most weekends, people now get to see that. What do you reckon, Cam, before you dunk on my ass? Oh, I'm just going to go straight into the dunking. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember a Discord call a long time ago where myself and like four other members of our Discord were trying to get this guy to understand what Mercedes was picking up with George Russell that they weren't getting out of Valtteri. Well... Unless Lewis Hamilton has a hell of a weekend in Abu Dhabi, he's going to outpoint Lewis on the year. 
you yeah. know how rare that is? That's that doesn't happen by, often. That's been done by Jensen Button and Nico Rosberg. Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton tied their rookie here, let's not forget. Mm. Yes. That doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. And look, full disclosure, because I'm an honest man and I will take my L like a man. Um, I've always been critical of the George Russell to Mercedes move. And the reason why I was always critical of it was because the leap was so strong from where he was at Williams to where Mercedes was. And I leaned more on the positive side of my critique of Valtteri Bottas that I thought, well, you know, it's not hurting Mercs too much. Dance with the one that brung you, etc. And, you know, of course, Russell was mighty impressive in the bar rhombus two years ago, but I also sat there thinking it's a one-race sample size and there was no Hamilton in that race. The, the true measuring stick of where Mercedes was. So I was critical. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be open to admitting that, you know, maybe I thought that this was a bit too big of a leap too soon for George. And now this same weekend, Toto said he actually probably should have bumped him up a year early, which is uh, funny. And I can't really disagree with him at this point. So I will take my L like a man. I was wrong about George Russell. I didn't think George had it in him. I really didn't. And you know, I was wrong. I mean, 48 Vin hours before this victory, do we think anybody thought he had it in him when he dipped it on the wet paint and qualifying and caused a red flag? Which, well, which, well uh, speed we'll wasn't necessarily the problem. Yeah. Um, but I mean, looking at kind of the buildup in the last couple races, Mercedes has upgraded their car far deeper into the season than, well, frankly, anyone else. Uh, last mm. Red Bull update of significance was in Belgium. Uh, Ferrari doesn't know what the word upgrade means because every time they put one on the car, the car gets worse. And, and to be fair, they, they said they've stopped developing because they hit the cost cap limit. <laughs> oh, Ferrari. Yeah. They admit the, the, tem <laughs> the temple of efficiency and the, the temple of efficiency and correct spending. Yeah, they, they admitted this weekend that they hit the cost cap limit and they can't develop the car anymore. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yep. Rest and in piss, Ferrari. Rest and piss that entire core. Dude. You yep. will not be missed. But, but um, you, you know, could kind of see this coming in the last few races, and Mercedes were pretty much the fastest all weekend from the sprint onward, just by virtue of not of, of being able to get the medium tires working when seemingly no one else could. Mm. And George was pretty much untouchable from lights to flag. No one challenged him. Uh, yeah. Perez couldn't keep up with him, and post restart, uh, Lewis could could keep up with him, but really couldn't make any inroads on him. Mm. And uh, incredibly, first win in F one, he pulled maximum points from a sprint weekend, full points in the sprint, fastest lap, and the race win. That's a pretty good weekend. He's now twenty. He's now twenty five points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton basically needs to win this race, and George Russell has to finish outside the points in Abu Dhabi to break even. You know, I don't think this is indicative that Lewis Hamilton is washed. No, it just means that George Russell is really good. We'll see how the dynamic plays out when they're in a better car. I don't think Lewis Hamilton at 38 years old will, will benefit too much for going into the business for himself next season. But I also figure that they're gonna, there's going to be a little bit of needle if they end up fighting for a championship against one another. Oh, they will or, be. Look, this happens oh, there, there's every never time. Been that. There, there's never been needle between Mercedes teammates in a title fight. No, never. Uh, um, 
no, no, no look, I remember they those two fell out when they were best mates of fifteen years prior. Um, look, Hamilton. Maybe Hamilton's turned a corner in terms of maturity since then. Given we're now in you know two thousand twenty two, going into twenty three. But um, I do also kind of fear that, you know, like everyone, Merck's absolutely lean into the we love each other as teammates, lovey dovey vibe. And then. Yeah, of the top three teams, they were the ones that did not have a major team orders controversy in the closing laps of the Grand Prix. Right. Because Merck's pretty much were like, hands off, you're free to race each other. Um, just be respectful, um, obviously. Um, but. If these two compete for a championship next year, which there is a decent chance they'll be doing that next year, like this is not going to last. Trust me. Friends don't compete for world championships unless you're an H. Spargaro, of course. But besides that, <laughs> so so uh, other than this year, you're correct. Yeah, pretty much. Like the, the, the MotoGP was the year of friendship this year. H. Spargaro and, and and Fabio Quartararo are best mates forever. Um, but uh, besides that, I mean, look, I don't, I don't, I don't expect this lovey dovey shit to last because they got nothing to fight for besides pride. Mercedes and an outside shot at second. Uh, it's, it's not even an outside shot anymore. If a Ferrari retires, they have a legitimate chance to relegate Ferrari to third in a two horse race. Oh, they're 19 points out. They're 19 points out with one. Wait, it's only, it's a, wait, 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 wait. It's, it's 18 it's, points. It's, it's only 19. I thought it was a bit more than that. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> it is 19 <laughs> points. <right? laughs> that is precarious. Um, yeah, no, if, if Mercedes pulls a good result and fucking one Ferrari retires, there's a legitimate shot. Ferrari will lose second in the constructors. Good God almighty. Ferrari will have spent all this time cruising in altitude, falling a couple thousand feet per second through the mm -hmm. sky, getting it back under control, and then plunging down towards the earth. A lot of money at stake next weekend. A lot of money at stake. That's going to be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, George Russell, real fucking deal. And it's like, like I think that, if anything, the bit at the end, it was, honestly, I was watching the last 12 laps of this race thinking well it's been a fun ride george uh lewis is right behind you and lewis will use his proven skill to find a way around him and then george just just dug in and hamilton couldn't touch him it was just it was pretty much a stable one just over a second for the last 12 laps or so yeah yeah very very impressive stuff from the like, first mercedes won two in over a year because remember they didn't two have years. one all last season Two years. The last time they, the last time they had a one-two was Imola twenty twenty. God, that feels like such a long time ago. I feel old. Yeah, two years ago was the last time Merckx had a one-two finish. It's amazing what a what a Red Bull does to refresh the memories, huh? Uh, it's it's. Speaking of which, time to open Pandora's box of controversy number one. Now. Early on in this race, we had an, an obvious safety car because uh, we had a, we had an early wreck as Daniel Ricciardo. We, we, we need to we need to rip the bandage off of this one. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Kevin Magnussen got pole. Yeah, he did. More on that later. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But Ricca like Magnussen qualified on pole. He fell to eighth in the sprint. So still a high up spot for K Mag to start a Grand Prix from. Opening lap, he gets duffed up and spun out by Daniel Ricciardo, who then, as Magnussen reverses off the track, which is the right thing to do when he's 
cast pointing backwards. Ricardo tries to take the long way around on the grass and slams into the side of Ricardo. They're both out. Doink. Uh, um, Daniel Ricardo adding failure to his complete breakfast of 2022. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very balanced, I see. This, uh, Daniel Ricardo. He's just, I feel like he's just crashing out of races just so he doesn't have to drive anymore. Yeah, uh, Ricardo takes a three-place grid penalty for his final Grand Prix at McLaren, maybe of his career, probably of his career. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be taking three grid penalty spots for that. But on the restart about four laps later, um, Hamilton gets a pretty shit restart. Verstappen's all over him. He tries to go the long way around the first half of the center S's. Um he comes in towards the second right-hander as the part of, as part of the center S's. Um, Verstappen sends it down the inside of the apex. Hamilton tries to take the corner normally. There's contact. Big old contact. K-Max, oh, sorry, K-Max, sorry. Um, no, Verstappen loses his front wing, um, falls to the back of the field. Hamilton takes a minor whack, loses his wheel cover, um, falls to eighth. Obviously, Hamilton's able to continue. He goes on to finish in second. Max Verstappen gets on to finish in sixth. More on that More later. On that later. <laughs> yeah. See, can you? Um, can you where that was going? Um, now, this incident led to Verstappen being hit with a five-second time penalty for causing a collision. There was actually some interesting debate on this one on social media. This wasn't the landslide I thought this was going to be. Um, so where do you people sit on this incident and what have you made of the response since? Uh, I, I've, I've seen this. We've, we've all seen this movie (laughs) quite a few times. You Um, said it best. This is what happens when you have two centers at the, at the, at the sharp end of a battle for position. Yeah. I give full credit to uh, Fran Wald at MotoGP.com for that one. It was a, it was a great phrase, and it stuck with me when it, when it comes to describing those two. They are two Ayrton Senna's. And if it wasn't already abundantly clear off the last two seasons that these two give each other no quarter and race each other differently compared to the rest of the field, then this was the, probably the final piece any, of any and all any and all notion of on track respect between these two is dead buried and the, the earth has been salted you remember yeah. when when charles leclerc was matt verstappen's most hated on track rival <laughs> and the two a- of them have like what's it been like like one instance of minor contact between them yeah was to that finish like a race where both was that the Austin yeah, Austria where we were all like got to go to the store, but we're holding on because they still haven't published the official results yet. The yeah. review of the incident. Yeah, yeah, like a, a hip check where both cars continued is like the most heated that their on track fights has have ever gotten. Meanwhile, yeah. every time Lewis and Max are near each other, it's just carbon everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get like Max Verstappen straight cutting heel promos in the TV pen after the race whenever it's Max versus Charles. No. These two race each other differently. Um to quote Alexander Anderson from Helsing Ultimate Bridge, sinners will be given no quarter, etc. Um and yeah, I think personally this is the walking definition of a racing incident. Um I also think that, to be fair to the stewards, and I know 
it's very easy to dunk on the stewards given what the state of Formula One is in recent times. By the letter of their own law, they were correct to apply a five second time penalty to Verstappen. In these incidences, the aggressor always gets clapped because the onus is on them to complete the overtake safely. And by their own ruling, because they changed it for this year. I didn't know they changed it for this year. Yeah, they, they changed the rules of engagement this year as in direct response to last year, mm. where now you pretty much have to be front wheel to front wheel to, by the letter of the law, be entitled to some racing room. Which I think is a big ask. I think that's complete fucking nonsense. Like I, but like, I digress. Like so, in other words, if someone takes a lunge at you, you now have the right to turn across their path because they're not yes. going to be three quarters of a car alongside you. I think that's absolutely bonkers. Like, well, because I, I, the thing with this incident for me, and I do agree. Why for me, it's the definition of a racing incident. You've got someone taking a low percentage lunge and someone slamming the door on said lunge when yeah. that car is already halfway through it. Max was never less than halfway alongside Lewis throughout the whole turn one to turn two complex. So it's a two-parter. You go into turn one, swings back right into turn two. Mm. And he was never less than 50% alongside. You could say he carried a bit too much speed in, but then he's on a compromised line because the car on his outside is turning into him. Yeah. Lewis could have left more space, should have left more space. Max could have backed out, probably should have backed out. Yeah. yeah. The 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 loss in track position that they both suffered from this get together honestly would have been if if they had just said no further action taken, the penalties that you got for losing all this track position in Max's cases Dropping in the pack after a nose change so that the advantage of having fresh sets of softs just didn't matter. Mm -hmm. I would have understood that. <coughs> I, I don't like the notion that every incident deserves a penalty. I agree. When you're, you're trying to apply a black and white rule to something that is every color of the rainbow in wheel-to-wheel -wheel interactions between two cars. Right. And I just thought that if you if you could apportion blame, I'd probably put it sixty forty max, mm -hmm. but not enough to not enough to earn a penalty, not a five second penalty. Not to, that effect, uh, to kind of talk about why they were in this hole. Red Bull had horrible tire wear all weekend, mm. and it was a weird situation where the only viable tire was the soft because the mediums would just grain. And the hards were impossible to switch on. But right. then the softs were doing their job and weren't lasting the whole distance because it's the soft. Yeah. And Red Bull, they just, uh, I think that they could have piled on a lot more downforce. They were so much faster than everything else in a straight. And they just left the down as if they was going to make them vulnerable in the race. And all it did was just butcher their tires. Yeah, that's a strange thing because we talked about it for so long that like this Rebel is pretty good on its tires, at least for Stappen is. Mm. We know Perez is a tire whisperer. This, it was basically a repeat of Austria where they were just butchering the tires after you know, six or seven laps. Yeah. I, I, just, <laughs> like, and, I, and regarding like the mm. post-race comments for Max, uh, and I, I think we'll get into this a bit 
with the next Red Bull topic. Mm. I think for me, it's just Max saying shit because he's mad. Yeah. I don't read into most of the shit that drivers say immediately after a Grand Prix because, unfortunately, this is a highly strung emotional job where guys drive 1,000 horsepower, 210 mile an hour race cars for 90 minutes at a time with their jobs on the line at every opportunity. Maybe let's not interview these guys the moment they step out of a car. As a, it, the whole the whole interview was just the definition of saying shit to say shit. Yeah, and I think both Red Bulls were, were guilty of that, and I said we'll get to that in a minute. Like, I do not take these guys at face value on anything, personally, um, anymore, and I've, I've learned that through many, many interviews, That and I just think we like to pick and choose what to take seriously and what not to, depending on who you like and who you don't like, which is, I think, generally my overall vibe about this incident. It's your side will most likely come down to who, which one of these two drivers do you like more? And that- I mean, I take at face value that these two kind of don't respect each other on the track as much as they do other drivers around them. Yeah, that's what I take at face value. Yeah, the thing that's- that also confuses me when it comes to the ruling on this penalty. Remember Spa? Yeah. Remember when Alonzo and Hamilton just game-ended each other at the end of the Kemmel? Yeah. Why did the car on the outside get the penalty that time? I, I don't understand. Why would Michael Massey do this? We've si- we still fixed stewarding, folks. Now, I don't want to get into a game of false equivalences so much because people were very quick to point out the Esteban Ocon incident from here from 2019. Oh, um, classic. Yeah. One where one where I think the car on the outside, in this case Max Verstappen, was being quite stupid and slamming the door. Yeah, and we're like, well, which fault is it then? And I'm like, well, to be fair, Esteban Ocon doesn't have anywhere near as much of his car alongside Max when he goes to try and unlap himself. And two, I can also think that Ocon getting a 10-second stop-and-go penalty for that incident was ridiculous. Like... That's Maybe not- both incidents were really stupid and really stupid from both drivers involved. Were they as yeah. stupid as Lance Stroll cutting across the bastard? Not even close. Lance Stroll. Oh. Lance Stroll. <laughs> I'm begging you. Watch the Gran Turismo Sport <laughs> etiquette videos. You don't want to do things that make you look bad. The best part was Vettel's response to it on the radio. It just came as like, like okay. 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 My man, my man gave us the... Just drove around him at the end of the lap anyway. Like my, man, my man gave him the full one-punch man treatment, just like, okay, um, fine. <laughs> Let's um, drive around you later. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this was... This was the definition of a racing incident. I think justice was ultimately served, I think, in the end, given how it all played out. I don't think the stewards need to make a call on everything. I think there should be a gray area because, hey, guess what? Most overtaken instances have a gray area and it's okay to maybe take your hands off the wheel every once in a while. It's fine, right? And yeah, I overall think this was just a racing incident. And, you know, I just think it's going to be highly charged to discuss it because of the two men involved. And that's just how it's going to be, unfortunately. Um, Thankfully... Nothing else of controversy happened with Red Bull over the course of this week. Controversial moment number two. Um, in, don't, don't ask me that again. In the final stages of the race, Sergio Perez was struggling on his used mediums. 
He got out and away for Max Verstappen to try and attack the Alpine of Fernando Alonso. Red Bull told Perez that Max would give the place back if he couldn't get past him. Max tried and failed to pass Alonso on the final lap. He also refused to give Perez his sixth place back. Max Verstappen said he failed to give the position back because, quote, he had his reasons. Sergio's response, it shows who he is. Um, he actually, Perez actually went a little bit deeper than that. He also said the, the reason he has two championships is because of me, which, um, okay, Sergio. Um, both men have since said that the matter has been settled in-house. And Max went one further and said he'd be prepared to help Sergio get second in the championship in Abu Dhabi if need be. Of course, we, the internet, don't take people at face value anymore. So we have now. Yeah, already... we just said we don't take these drivers at their fa at face value. Yeah, we don't see. Remember, how I said we're very selective about this. Yeah, apparently we're, we're already making rumors that hey, you know, Sergio Perez might have fucked Verstappen's mother or some shit. You know, because we're the internet, we're a highly mature community of fans. Um, and they'll be, and they'll be easily the best tasting man that she's ever had. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna acknowledge that. <laughs> Holy shit! When. When there is a <laughs> team orders, non-team orders controversy in Formula One, think back to all the cases you could think of. Multi-21 and Sabang 2013. Alonso is mm. faster than you in Germany 2010. Back-to-back -back Austrian Grand Prix where Rubens Barrichello had to give a win away so that Michael Schumacher could go ahead and win a championship that he was already odds-on favorite to win. In any one of those cases of, of team orders being applied, or in the case of Bolte 21, team orders being refused and drivers going on race with a win anyway, the typical rule of thumb is that nobody really gives a shit unless the driver who already has the leverage, has the benefit, already is the number one driver, is already having all the success. Nobody really gives a shit until the driver that has all the power benefits from it. And mm. then it is an egregious, terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I feel about it, because this one wrangled me the wrong way. It's like, Master Sappin, you've already clinched the championship. Red Bull's already clinched the constructors. You don't need the extra two points. This was just for for me. I just look at this with one massive, but why though? Mm. Ah, because <laughs> Max doesn't need to assert himself any more than he already has. He's beat Perez into the dirt for He's two years. Everybody in the, the dirt to the point that the fairly equal quality record to start this year when Perez started off hot has converted over to one of the most lopsided stats in F1. I'd just like to Who point out briefly... Who gives a shit? I'd just like to point out briefly, Max Verstappen has a 139-point lead in the championship on Sergio Perez at this point in time. That's right. And Sergio Perez now has a lead of Charles Leclerc, who, let's not forget, drives for a different team, of zero points. Because they're on them later. <laughs> more, on, more, on, more on Ferrari later, because, man... Uh, the roast is delicious. Mm. Who gives a shit what Perez did or didn't do in Monaco with all the accusations around that? What is the benefit of making an enemy out of him? Nothing. 
There is no benefit to you got two points. At least when Seb went rogue in this same team nine years ago, it was over a race win and a title that was by no means certain at that stage of the year. Yeah, it was the second race of the year in Malaysia in twenty. When Michael when Michael Schumacher won those Austrian Grand Prix that should have gone to Rubens Barrichello, you know what Michael Schumacher did once he wrapped up the titles? Paid it back to Rubens Barrichello. Yeah, he quote unquote did the right thing. I'm. Meanwhile, Max looks over at Sergio. I was like, this block button ain't enough. I want him dead. I just... Okay, here's how I look at it. First and foremost, right? Sergio needs to calm down. Just a little bit. Because him saying things like, he has two titles because of me, is the definition, again, of just saying shit. You know? Like, well, I also acknowledge that Max had absolutely nothing to gain in doing this. However, and this is the unfortunate nature of of power dynamics in Formula 1, this is Max's house. Red Bull has spent the last decade, from the time he was 15 years old and just coming out of karting, people blowing smoke up his ass. From the moment he was a teenager in European Formula 3, this was always going to be the end game for Max. If he was half as talented as people thought he was when he was 15, this is how it was always going to be. And we've already seen enough evidence of Red Bull that they like to build around one centerpiece driver. And that person was Sebastian Vettel in the past. And look, the worst you could say about the Sebastian Vettel back in 2013 was that he was a bit of a creep in his interviews of women. And he won too much. He won too much with a finger point, which people, for some reason, perceived as arrogance. Like, it, it was a weird thing back in 2013. Point is, is that, you know, with Seb, we overegged the pudding. I think most people looking back on that now would probably realize, look, hang on. We, we, we completely got this wrong, right? And not to mention, it was for the win. Not to mention, you know... Not to mention it was actual vengeance for actual insubordination that Mark Webber did in Brazil the previous year. It's always Brazil. Yeah, I told you it's always Brazil. Like Webber ignored a team order to help Vettel win the championship in Brazil 2012. So Vettel was like, well, you know what? Eye for an eye. And this is the unfortunate nature of power dynamics and team orders. If you are in a team where you have the executive privilege to be able to ignore a team order, there is nothing anybody can do about that. What, what did, you, did anybody think Red Bull was actually ever going to fire Sebastian Vettel after Moldy 21? The guy no. that won them three <laughs> championships? No. Oh, you're funny. Uh, you're very No, and funny. I don't think anybody of sane mind and uh, composure is out here saying that any one of these drivers should be fired unless, like, of course not. I don't know, someone something weird happens and, like, Sergio Perez just, like, cuts the first corner to torpedo right in the side pod of Mats Verstappen as a side of revenge, which at, at the rate that it's developing... I'm not expecting that to happen, but boy, is it going to look things are really... Developing. That is, it might be a Daniel Ricciardo homecoming if that's the case. Dude, <laughs> Sophie Kumpen is jumping into this. That That's wild. And we know she's not doing it for the benefit of sticking up for his shitty ex-husband. Uh, my, it's yeah. just... It's just uh, I respect that this is Max Verstappen's house. And I know that Matt Verstappen is the best driver in the sport right now. I don't like the way that this played out. I'm sorry. I don't I don't like it and I don't have to like it. 
No, for me, it just lands as all so unnecessary. Yeah, that's what it is. That's why I don't like it. It's unnecessary. Sam Collins put it best on F1 TV. For all of this, Max Verstappen's only benefit is he just made his super license 2,000 euros more expensive. <laughs> and while you don't get bonus points in the Constructors' Championship for 1-2 in the driver's standings, you think Red Bull would be presented with the opportunity to take an accolade that they've never taken in all their I don't think years? Red Bull gives a flying fuck. But do you like think they never would just did be with Mark Webber? Do you think they would be offered it and just be like, no, thank you, and swat it away like a child swatting away a plate of broccoli? No, <laughs> I, just don't think they, I just don't think I they especially it. care. I love broccoli, though. Um, I love broccoli, too. But the thing is, is that, that everybody there knows that there's nothing they can do about this. Max is just being Max. They'll talk him off the ledge. In you know, in you know, from his one of his angry spells, because Max has had a knack of saying dumb shit whenever he's heated. He, he needs a PR per. He needs better PR people than like his dad and Tom Cornell. I I have all the respect <sighs> for what Tom Cornell accomplished in. Uh, but this whole thing st- stems from like this tale that like when Sergio Perez stuffed in the barrier, in Monaco. He said it was on purpose. To which. Sergio Perez didn't have a contract for 2023. Why would he, one, put his own livelihood on purpose just to anger his potential future employers and to brag about it to their face? Mm. Conspiracy brain is just wild with these people. People got we're, in their heads we're beyond brain worms. We've been promoted to boa constrictors in our brains. As I'm currently hitting the gritty for Sergio Perez. Yeah, uh. I mean, it's, we love a good conspiracy. Um, we love like people like us on Twitter love thinking we know more than the people within F1 from our comfy armchairs and watching race reviews and sticking them on Twitter. I would know. Um, like there is, I find it very hard to find a conceivable motive for Perez to even consider that which given as you said RJ my man was a free agent at the end of the season until that Monaco weekend played out. Um, so and it ultimately didn't have an impact on the drivers' championship. If Matt Sersapin was doing this because that win at Monaco for Paris was costing him a world championship, I'd have maybe understood a little more. I would have, I wouldn't have liked it still, but I would have understood a little more. It didn't have an impact, it was just a feel good moment early in a season that would go on to be dominated by Matt Sersapin anyway. Mm-hmm. He is making up a guy in his head to be angry about. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the beef history episode I watched on SB Nation about three years ago when we had Shaq talk about that he made up a story that David Robinson turned down an autograph request when he was like nine years old, despite the fact by all accounts, David Robinson seemed like the nicest man in basketball history. And it sounded completely cockamamie that he would ever do something like that. And then Shaq, after he retired, was just like, yeah, I made it up because I because I need I need to make up a guy in my head to play at the level that I do. Yeah, sorry, David. I sincerely apologize, etc. Um, yeah, it was silly, but that's what some that's what some elite athletes do to motivate themselves. And yeah, it's I think it's a bit wacky, but then again, I will never understand how these people's heads work because I am a silly fat man from London recording a podcast from a desk, not a f- elite level Formula One driver. That's just how this shit goes. Um, 
yeah, I think all of this was just completely unnecessary. Red Bull just heating their own bathtub with a toaster for no good reason. I just don't like. <laughs> They're just drinking their own bath water. I just, I just don't under, I don't understand the logic here. Like, like again, we'll see what happens in Abu Dhabi. Look, I, Perez has got a very good chance of taking second, regardless, because Ferrari are just not at the races. This is one of their better Grand Prix in recent times, funnily enough. But like you say that. Well, you know. <laughs> to, to to roll over a quick recap of Ferrari's weekend, mm. they looked awful in practice. They did. Uh, they split tire strategies unnecessarily in Q3, costing Leclerc a legitimate timed lap. Yep. Although Carlos that. Sainz had an engine penalty to serve because they burned through so many engines this year. Six. And then Lando Norris took it upon himself to spread the sickness around and kill Leclerc after the uh, after the first restart when we were all arguing over who was at fault at turn one. Norris just tipped Charles into the wall. And they recovered for a 3-4 in the wrong yeah. order with Leclerc screaming on the radio, begging the team to swap them around. And then and the, the pit the wall no. just the team wall just did their best impression of Scar and Mufasa on the ledge, and the Ferrari pit wall says, "Along with the King wall, just shamming their claws right into Charles Leclerc's podium hopes." I think the words our former co-host said on Twitter was, "quote Drown twink." Um, <laughs> On on that one, so like it's funny. This was like the second, like this was like the third highest ranking team drama of the weekend was the fact that Ferrari openly rejected um, the chance to give Leclerc an extra three points. You know how rare it is that for, that we have a team orders controversy in Formula One, and Ferrari is not at the center of it. Right, Ferrari were like, "No, you hold position." We uh, invented team orders controversies in the sport. Yeah, we we are not taking Carlos signs off this podium, goddammit. So um yeah, um that's interesting. That'll go down well if Charles Leclerc ends up finishing third. Um <laughs> which would be funny. Oh, by the way, there is a conceivable scenario where George Russell could leapfrog them both at this final race. He need, he needs the he needs both of them to non-score, Perez and, and Leclerc to non-score. While also scoring the win in Abu Dhabi while also scoring fastest lap. Yeah, it is doable. It is the longest long shot, but it is possible. Wouldn't that be the funniest fucking thing ever? Like, my God, that would be just hilarious. Any other business from this weekend, gentlemen? Um, um All of those things. <laughs> all of those things, finally. It looks like I can drop my Ferrari hatred bit only slightly. Because if you believe all the stories coming out of the F1 media right now, Mattia Bonotto is gone. We got the vote of confidence tweet from Ferrari two days ago. Yeah. No, like I said in the intro, nobody buys that they're actually sticking with them. Now, is this treating the symptom rather than the problem itself? Highly likely. Is the symptom really bad and needs to be treated? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, well, I think that, I think he and Leclerc have completely fallen out at this point. If you hear I just all of the discourse around the team that it, it, it's, 
I talked this, about this last night in our Discord. This season by Ferrari, I cannot think of a season where a team left more points on the table from more races. I cannot think of one. The only thing I could even come close to was Williams in 02, because that BMW engine, man, it was powerful, but didn't hold itself together very well. Mm. It's always bad when you're the main character of every Formula One race weekend during the summer, and that was Ferrari. Really and even awesome. then, this weekend, I mean, they had enough pace, perhaps not to win, but at least be in the fight. And, and to be fair, Carlos Sainz was there. He was pretty much on the back. But Carlos had to, he had to go off strategy because he had a tear off in his brake duct. That's not a Ferrari screw up. That's no. just plain bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah. Um, Sainz drove really well this weekend, in all fairness to him. I think it was one of his better weekends in red, actually. Mm, mm. Um, I think one of his best weekends of the year. What was that tire call in Q3? But <laughs> bat shit crazy. <laughs> It's like you're gambling to lose. It's like you know the rain is coming, but you know it's not quite here yet. So why are you on the inters? You go on the slicks. Because <laughs> if you, you you gamble to try and get the upside, not the downside. Like I just <laughs> what? This is basic <laughs> shit. Oh my god. It's like you know, you know what the funniest thing about the phrase "common sense" is because it, it just doesn't exist. Like it's it, common, common sense, sense is, which it, which in your tiny mind is not common in the no, words of Gordon Ramsay. It is a rare fucking event. Like my god, um, look, I'll talk about it more in the season review with him in a couple of weeks' time. But it's been an all-time operational humdinger of a season for Ferrari this year, and. You know what they say, cut off the head and the body will die. You know, you've got to, if if you're if you are blaming the operations of the team as to how this season's been an unmitigated disaster to the point where you may have had the best car for half the season and ended up third overall, you've got to start at the top. There's no getting around that, unfortunately. You can't... It's, also, it's not just Mattia under threat as well. It looks like pretty much uh, him, their head of strategy, who I see he's got to have. He's got to have nude pictures of Ferrari's board. There is no way this man <laughs> has kept his job for this long and not had some major dirt on people in that team, as well as their primary uh, liaison between them and the FIA. All of them could be out post Abu Dhabi. Mm. I want there. There is strong suggestion that Frederick Vasseur of Alfa Romeo Sauber Formula One team is uh, the favorite to take over he has worked with charles leclerc before not only through his time at salfa romalber but also through his previous work at art grand prix um I that's right um i like the move i would love to see if uncle fred's got the sauce to lead a top team we'll see we'll see it can't be any what worse could you? It's just wild to think that Ferrari had the most wins they've had in a season in 2018. And by all accounts, we're just looking at it's like, yeah, you should have had so much more. You really should have had so much more than this. Mm, mm. Can I talk about Alpine for a minute? Oh God! The the, the what most a weekend. successful the most successful dumpster fire on the grid. 
<laughs> Alpine is a hot mess. Like, like this is a, a fine way of summing up Alpine's weekend. The sprint happens. Esteban Ocon runs Fernando Alonso four wheels off on the opening lap of the sprint. Fernando understandably is livid that his own teammate would do such a thing. It was a pretty shady bit of defending Which, from Ocon. Of course, is why he's going to Aston Martin next year with person who is famously respectful wheel to wheel Lance Stroll. Good luck, Fernando. <laughs> um, good luck with that. Um, so, like both, I think it's well after there's after that, like literally a lap later. Fernando Alonso drives into the rear of Esteban Ocon's car on the home straight. He mistimes him pulling out of the DRS on the DRS, the slipstream in general, going down the home straight. Clips part of his front wing against the rear of Ocon's car. Alonso admits fault um, in the post-sprint debrief and is given a five-second penalty, <coughs> time penalty after that, which put them at the back of the field anyway because Ocon had a damaged car, Alonso had a damaged car, and then Alonso got also a five-second time penalty, which dropped him down to, I want to say, 16th or something like that. So, of course, both cars go on a rampage during the race itself, including Fernando getting a very well-timed late safety car at the end to switch to the soft tires and go on the charge. Um, Alonso finishes fifth. Ocon finishes eighth. That's 14 points in a weekend. McLaren double DNFs. McLaren double DNFs on the weekend, which means that Alpine pretty much, barring a miracle, have fourth place in the constructors sealed. Just like we drew it up, and oh, by the way, one of the Alpines actually caught fire in part for May after the sprint. Yeah, Ocon. Ocon's car caught fire because of, uh, I think it was his brakes that had caught fire um, after the sprint had finished. And it was so toasty. Fernand, like, like it, there was a, there's a quite funny shot of Daniel Ricciardo and Sebastian Vettel watching the Alpine burn. Um Hey, remember when you had Renault engines? Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, fun times. And after, after all of that, somehow Alpine have had arguably their most important weekend of the year, and they're probably going to finish fourth overall. Because <laughs> I love it when a plan. I love it when a plan comes together. Not just an, not just any plan, but L plan. L plan. L plan. But, but please, can you subset of Alonso fans that are abusing Esteban Ocon on Instagram and berating the team on Twitter and a social media admin that has got nothing to do with any of this, please grow the fuck up, okay? Like, we don't need this. I know Formula One Twitter is the world's largest sausage fest when it comes to thinking that we're the main characters of dialogue in, in this sport compared Hun, to football. That, that, that's just Twitter at this point. Yeah, like, Twitter is, like, uh, it is a huge fucking wanking session of our own egos when it comes to how we talk about this sport, quite frankly. Like, we live in a world where fan accounts that just copy press releases have 45,000 Twitter followers. This space is dumb. Um, let me just point this out. Um, yeah, and Alpine were using advanced algorithms to actually tell people directly how many abusive comments they'd actually gotten. They actually have metrics to determine, like, abusive yeah. and seriously abusive, which whew, I don't know how you calculate. I don't know how you quantify that. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things where it's just like, you know, I don't know how you quantify how good uh, a sports player is. Yeah, we're stupid like that. Please don't do this. Um, Please don't. 
you know, like it's really, really stupid. Um, we are. I'd like to think we're better than this, but we're not. But um, RJ, you wanted to talk about one man and one man in particular. Kevin Magnuson should not be in Formula One because this time last year, he had no plans to ever come back to Formula One. He was racing an IMSA. He had a Omaha hypercar drive lined up with Peugeot. Then some weird stuff happened. Some circumstances lead to him getting back in a Haas F1 team, a team that he said he was happy to leave. And then here we are in 2022, Kevin Magnuson in a red flag shortened, rain shortened, rain affected Friday qualifying session will go down as the pole position winner for the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in 2022. I'm not going to make this into a debate over what the pole position should be for a sprint weekend, but that's so cool for Haas, who really, they don't get a lot of flowers in general. They haven't had a lot to cheer about in the last three years. Plus, I know that they spent a whole year tanking to make the best car that they could after throwing away all 2021, and they're back to where they usually are, but not where they were in 2018, where they were pushing for fourth in the constructors. I realize that. But that's that was a cool moment to see Magnuson awarded the pole trophy and for everybody at Haas who freaking love this. Freaking Magnus love this. Came by looked like he was about to hit the gritty on top of his Haas when he's leaping out of the car to celebrate probably the finest moment in this team's history. Like It was. It reminded me of Max Verstappen's dad getting provisional pull at the 2003 French Grand Prix because he happened to be the one driver that could run a full lap on slick tires. And yes, the the second round of qualifying the next day made the grid right, but for a moment, Minardi had provisional pole position for a Grand Prix in 2003, and that's what that reminded me of. And Kevin Magnussen, although he did get dropped after the first two laps of the sprint, he held on to finish eighth, and that was huge because that means they are now two. Two, count of two points ahead of a struggling AlphaTauri team for eighth in the World Constructors Championship going into Abu Dhabi. Alfa Romeo are still five points ahead of Aston Martin by the grace of a fantastic weekend for Valtteri Bottas. Mm. Um, that's, that's big. I will have my quibbles with Gene Haas' lack of ambition and lack of patience when it comes to a certain driver move that is being heavily rumored and suggested and may be confirmed by the time you listen to this podcast. Yep. But that was cool for Kevin Madison. That was cool for all the people at Haas. I love seeing that. Yeah, good for them. It's a tiny team, only 250 um, members of staff working for them. They probably got a fifth of what Red Bull or Mercedes have as a team. And they work very, very hard. And it must be a little bit exhausting sometimes when you're in a, when you're on a back marker team and, you know, even points can be a long shot sometimes. So for them to have that moment, their little moment in the I was gonna say sun, but more like pouring rain, um, that's special. And you know like, who you have to thank for that? George Russell dropping it on the paint. Beaching it in the gravel. We've come full circle, everybody. That was our show, the Brazilian Grand Prix, the final Formula One race of this season, the season finale uh, at Abu Dhabi this weekend. 
the final race of Nicholas Satifi, how sad, um, and two other guys. Um, so we'll get into that as well. Um, the last race week of our 2022. It, it, it's been emotional, and it probably will be one more time before we're done. You you know why. So the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix next week on M101, and then we can get into our special season as we run up towards Christmas. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, places you can find us one more time, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, maybe on Twitter at Harrison101HD, uh, RJ O'Connell and C Buckley917, our show itself, motorsport underscore 101, Instagram, motorsport101pod, our website, motorsport101.com. Don't forget to check out the MotoGP season review um, at the end of the season. Also, as Jason in our chat quite rightly points out, there are two weeks left to send in your nominations for the Motorsport 101 2022 Awards. Um, Follow Jason on Twitter at Jason underscore poll underscore 87. We'll also put the link up in our Twitter account later as well. You've got two weeks left to get your nominations in. They ended in in a couple of weeks' time. That'll be during our F1 season review episode. And then two weeks before Christmas, we will have the M101 Awards, our season finale for 2022. So get your nominations in. There's plenty of awards, although I think Ross Chastain already has at least one under lock and key. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on motorsport101.com, our website there. It's got a link to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Back us there financially if you want to help us out. Thanks to RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley for joining us as ever. We'll be back for the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Sayonara. Later, y'all.